The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors, or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, let me see your ID. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 173 with guest Kim Cameron, recorded live Friday, April 21st, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies, online at www.franklins.net, and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications, online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who knew too much about the man who knew too much, Carl Franklin. Thank you, thank you very much. This is Carl, Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. A beautiful week we've had here in New England, and... Uh, uh, I, I had a class here. The weather was just perfect. Had a teacher come up from Atlanta, and he was asking me if it's always this nice in New London. And, of course, I said, what, are you kidding me? Richard Campbell, <laughs> how are you, yes, sir? sir? Well, it's been a week now, hasn't it? It has been a week. Yeah. It's been a week for you, I mean. Oh, yeah. I uh, On Tuesday, I set up my new fish tank in my office and you reminded me of an interview you and i did together a hundred shows ago yeah that we made the movie out of right where water cooling uh, i was talking about my water-cooled computers and you said well is it quiet in there i says well the noisiest thing in here is my fish tank yeah i said well, i think i said you know doesn't it sound like a fish tank in your office and you said well yeah that's because i have a fish tank in my office <laughs> but uh not anymore well, yeah, the fish tank had an accident. For some reason, the bottom of the tank cracked and 120 gallons of salt water poured out. Oh. Took a shortcut through a couple of my workstations and ended up all over the floor. Oh, that's horrible. It was spectacular, man. So I'm coming to you from the dining room. <laughs> Is that why it sounds a little boxy? Yeah, it might sound a little boxy here. It's not quite the same. Right. But uh, And I'm working for my laptops. My machines will have to be rebuilt. So it's going to be a long couple of weeks. I promise to blog it. Very good. And uh, while you're cleaning yourself up there, let me tell all the listeners about the Atlanta Code Camp 2006, which is happening May 13th in Atlanta, uh, online at atlantacodecamp.com. My friend Mark Dunn asked me to uh, tell all of you about it if you happen to be in the Atlanta area. Stop by on May 13th, and, and let me just tell you who the speakers are. It's a great bunch of speakers. Michael Earls, Glenn Engstrand, Todd Fine, Jose Fuentes, Billy Hoffman, Wallace McClure, Caleb Sima, Justin Smith, Alan Stevens, Sean Wildermuth, Paul Wilson, Chris Williams, and Jim Woolley in almost alphabetical order. And um, so, Code Camp, Atlanta. Check it out. It's going to rock. All the Code Camps do. So we got some email this week. Why, yes, we do. Yes, we I got do. one here from Mark Robinson. Hi, Carl. I just wanted to email you to say thanks. What you do with .NET Rocks and DNR TV is changing the way developers are working. 
I am a junior.NET developer using VB.NET and ASP.NET, and I've been lear- developing for about eight months now. I have two MCPs and have read many technical books. Mm. However, I have learned more from you by listening to .NET Rocks and watching DNR TV than anywhere else. Isn't that nice? That is nice. You are also a great host. You always ask the guy, gal on your show the exact question that is on my mind. Cool. Even today, I was messing around with SQL 2005 at home and thought it would. I would look on the net for some tutorials. I go to DNR TV, and the first thing I see is the new movie with Bob Boschman all about the SQL CLR. Yeah. That's what prompted me to write this mail, just to say thanks. You are passing down your expert knowledge and allowing people like me the chance to peek into the top developers' minds in the industry through what you do, all for free. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Mark. Excellent. Mark, you know, just for that sucking up, I'm going to send you a .NET Rocks hoodie, man. (laughs) Send us your contact info, Mark, and we'll get it out to you. And I want to say something. It may be free to you guys, but... There are people who pay us and pay the cost of putting the show right. on, and they're the sponsors. Folks like Telerik and Inner Workings and Data Dynamics. Developer Express, Code Magazine. Yep. And we really hope you would take the time to take a look at their products. We pick them as much as they pick yep. us. They make great stuff that we value, and we hope you'll value it Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Without them, there'd be no show. Uh, I got another email here from Buddy Lindsay. .NET Rocks Crew. I have been a long-time listener to DNR, basically since I started .NET. You all were one of the first podcasts I listened to, and it helped encourage me to help start the ASP.NET podcast, even though shortly after I had to leave due to time constraints in my personal life. Buddy, man, I have been there. I almost stopped doing (laughs) DNR because of that. (laughs) Yeah, it is tough. I have often listened to you guys and wondered what in the world you're all talking about, but I find as I progress through the world of .NET, I recall things you all talk about, and they make sense. There have been many times that your show has saved me because I remember something you talked about, and it allows me to code better. I just want to thank you for all that you do. It has helped to motivate me to start a web design business with a friend doing ASP.NET development because I keep hearing all the wonderful things on DNR. Our site is lhand.com, L-H-A-N-D.com, if you want to know. Again, thank you, Buddy Lindsay. Well, Buddy, I'm going to send you a .NET Rocks mug. You know, Richard, we haven't been sending out swag for a long time, and we've no, been getting true. these emails, and we have all this swag here. We, You know, we're going to start that again. So, you know, if you want a piece of swag, send us some absolutely sucking up shameless mail, and uh, <laughs> feel free to put your URL in there, too. Sure, what the hell? It's all about community, right? Right. And send that to .NET rocks at franklins.net. And by the way, we also want you to tell us if we're not living up to your expectations. That's all part of the deal. It's the only way we get better. That's right. So, on to the show. Kim Cameron is architect of identity and access in the connected systems division at Microsoft, where he drives the evolution of Active Directory, Federation Services, Identity Integration Services, InfoCard, and Microsoft's other identity metasystem products. Kim joined Microsoft in 1999 when it bought the Zoomit Corporation. As VP of technology at Zoomit, he had invented metadirectory technology and built the first shipping product. Before that, he led Zoomit's development team in producing a range of SMTP, X.400, X.500, and PKI products. Kim grew up in Canada, attending King's College at Dalhouse University and University of Montreal. He has won many industry awards, including Digital Identity World's Innovation Award in 2005, Network Computing's Top 25 Technology Drivers Award in 1996, and MVP Award in 2005, a Network World's 50 Most Powerful People in Networking 2005. Woo! Kim blogs at identityblog.com, where he published the influential laws of identity. Please welcome to .NET Rocks, Kim Cameron. Hi, Kim. Hi. I wish I were that uh, influential. It'd be great. Wow. Well, you know, they don't just <laughs> hand out these awards. Uh, you must have done something right. <laughs> uh, i try. Yeah. What, let's start at Zoomit. What's, what was that all about? Well, Zoomit was um, looking at the problem that there were many different uh, information sources and in, in in organizations and that you needed to be able to rationalize them. So we, we were sort of the first people to come out with this technology to say, 
even though you have four or five different directories, we can make sense out of it and turn it into a single thing that, that works. So is this sort of the a precursor to an active directory type of system? or Yeah, well, now it's called uh, uh, Microsoft Identity Integration Services. Okay, so Zoomit was uh, absorbed by Microsoft? Yeah, they, yeah. They, they bought us and we all came here and we've been having a lot of fun. Good, good, good. So Zoomit really is then the, the, the precursor to that. So um, why don't you start us at the beginning of... Uh, of what you you know you you've been you've been dealing with in the identity space. Well, I guess um, you know those of us who are working with web services and so on realize that if we're going to have uh, web services that are working across different machines and you know different places, you've got to be able to have a reliable way of knowing who you're talking to, right? Right. And so when when you look at it, uh, it becomes pretty clear that the internet was built without any way of knowing who you're talking to. Right. Anonymity is key on the Internet. Anonymity is not... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the Internet delivers uh, anonymity. Right. Because, uh, you know, um, it's very hard to be anonymous. Right. But So you don't really get it, either the benefits of anonymity or of identity at the current time. Right. So part of my thinking is that there's a big hole in the architecture. Um, of the internet, and then whenever you have a hole in the architecture, this is where I, of course, this is thinking as an art, like an architect. Yeah. But wherever there's a big hole in the architecture, then you get people who go in and do sort of um, they have to do one-offs, and yeah. you know just stick their finger in the dike and get something done. Um, and so that's what's happened, and so you have all these different ways of doing identity all over the internet. It's right. always different. And so people, the users get very confused. They don't know what to expect. There's no consistency. Sure. And then you have, um, as more value is, is, is done using identity, I mean, as you start to do things like buy houses and so on, which actually one of my friends did recently on the Bought internet. a house on the internet. Yeah, on, on the internet. God. Um, <laughs> I hope that for his sake that he just bought it on a whim and he's got more money than God and it really didn't matter. <laughs> but, well, you know, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty pretty amazing. But, um, you know, when, as, as more money is passing hands on the Internet, um, you, you have, it, it attracts the criminal element. And so what we're seeing is that, you know, you have these, these, this huge professionalization of the attacks yeah. on uh, the website. So, so it's, it's not just that you have a bunch of kludges, like a, a, big, a, a big set of random identity stuff, goop. You also have people who know how to attack it. So that's the state we're in. It really occurs to me that spam and worms and all of the sort of the bad, bad stuff that happens on the Internet all revolves around a lack of identity. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, plus just a lot of inconvenience, like, yeah. you know, now that we're blogging and, you know, we participate in a lot of communities, Yeah, uh, having a different password for all those communities is enough to send you to the loony bin, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't, and then you, you know, basically you're giving your passwords away. Um. So you have this, these inconvenience factors um, that, that basically, and, and, and things like I can't share my calendar with with, with, right. with my wife. Even she right. doesn't, uh, much less you know my friends. Um, you, you've the, had the experience where the bank will call and uh, they'll want to speak to your wife, and you say, "Well, I'm her husband," and they say, "No, I'm sorry, you can't talk to. I can't talk to you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when it's the bank, I don't mind though. Okay, well, there you go. But, I mean, you could get any female in the room just to say hi, you know, because there's no way to check. That's right. That's right. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's crazy. So, anyway, this is uh, an area that's really interested me. And then I look at some of the, I, 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 you know, it's clear that there's this architectural hole. And then you start to look at what the attempts were to do something about it. Mm. And so, for example, one of the big ones was Passport. Right. Yeah.
Now that I'm producing all these shows every week, I don't have time to teach my classes anymore. I knew I had to find good trainers to teach, but I didn't take that decision lightly. So I turned to my friend Mark Dunn and the regional directors and MVPs. Mark Dunn introduced me to one of his top VB trainers, Tom Kinzer. Tom did a couple classes for us and we couldn't be happier. He consistently gets all nines on his evals, perfect for teaching the VBNet Masterclass, which is now the Dunn Training VB.net Masterclass. Thanks, Mark. When looking for a teacher for the ASP.net Masterclass, the obvious choice was Miguel Castro. If you've ever seen him speak at Code Camps or on .NET Rocks, you know that nobody goes deeper than Miguel into ASP.net. And he also consistently gets perfect scores on his evals. Every other ASP.NET class he teaches is in either VBNet or C Sharp. So first he'll do one in VBNet, and then the next month it'll be in C Sharp. One very special class we're offering in August is the iDesign WCF Masterclass with Michelle LaRue Bustamante. Michelle and the folks at iDesign are deeply into Windows Communication Foundation, codenamed Indigo. So if you're planning on developing a distributed system at this point, you should be using WCF. Of course, you can check out the course outlines and dates at www.franklins.net. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smart. Let's just, because, you know, a lot of people that came and went and they heard about it and, well, I guess you're talking about passports, one thing. I guess I'm thinking of, uh, of the, uh, the bigger initiative, my .NET, my services, but so let's talk about passport though. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's, it's a really fascinating, um, case because passport was, it's, it's incredibly successful, uh, in the sense that there's a billion authentications a day mm. to MSN properties mm. over Passport. Yeah. So, I mean, that's staggering. That's, right? that's huge. On the other hand, you know, it was supposed to be a identity solution for the wor- world, right? For the internet. Right. And it was a complete uh, failure at that. So it was very successful for one set of things and very unsuccessful for another set of things. I don't know what you think about it, Kim, but I sort of have my own opinions as to why that that uh, failed. And a lot of it, I thought, had to do with timing, bad timing in particular. What what was wrong with the timing? Well, just at about the time that Passport was being rolled out and .NET My Services and Hailstorm especially but uh you know there was a lot of hacks that were going on in IE and a lot of uh uh compromises there was some some things that happened in IIS at the time you know bad press due to uh not just bad press but you know hacks into internet explorer mm-hmm. microsoft really hit a low in security right around the time that the concept of making passport available to anybody who wants to pay to have an identity service right. came along. It just the the timing was unbelievably bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of the problems. That was, that was I, I agree it was one of the problems. And you know, bad luck is often something that uh, complicates our lives, right? Yeah. But in addition, I think you know, put yourself in the position of being I don't know. I'll, I'll pick Amazon. You know, just. Not not to pick on Amazon or anything else. Or oh, we not, can pick on Amazon. Yeah, they're a model yeah. we know, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are friends. No, um, so, you know, what? Uh, um, why would Amazon want to have Microsoft as an intermediary between itself and its customers? Yeah. Knowing every time, you know, knowing all the customers who are going to buy books all the time, for example. Mm. Um, I'm they they would naturally go well gee you know maybe one day 
um, Microsoft might um, compete with us. Set up a, a book selling company. Right, right, <laughs> right, and, and and so on and so on. So you can go to the from the point of view of the websites. You know, it it didn't it didn't really make sense. And and similarly, from the point of view of a consumer, it, why would I be bringing Microsoft into my relationship with you know my casino? You know, right? What's it doing there? So I found. And, and, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people from the websites and so on and, and, and figured out, you know, that this really was a concern to them. Um, and it sort of became the, the beginning of my, my study that, that, that became called the Laws of Identity, um, which was, and so I ended up with a law out of this, which is that the parties involved in an identity transaction have to make sense to each other. Hmm. I mean, it's a pretty simple, yeah. obvious thing, but... There have been lots of identity systems that were did not respect that premise, and any of them that didn't ex- respect that premise failed. Right. Makes perfect sense. In your document here, you called the law of the fewest parties. Um, yeah, well, I, I actually changed that going on uh, to justifiable parties, but yeah, it began as fewest parties. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, you could, that, that was because there there are cases where you want to have more. Uh, well, you know, the, the laws thing was a discussion that was on the web um, and that I had with lots of people from across the industry, and um, everybody was very passionate. We really had a great time. It was also sort of me um, understanding what what blogging was. I mean, blogging completely changed my way of working. I mean, I I'm I'm totally a different person because of blogging. Hmm. Because um, of writing or reading or both? Uh, writing, reading, and interacting. Yeah. Being in a continuous conversation. Yeah. Right? Instead of sort of sitting in your ivory tower or right. your Publishing basement. white papers. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of the white paper, the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I'm at the point now where I just do most of my thinking on my blog it doesn't matter if it's right or it's wrong or anything else. I might as well do it there. And then I'm, it's like a whole bunch of people will comment and help me. It makes sense for, you know, for a guy like you who actually has a lot to say, you know. Well, I didn't uh, think I, I, I had a lot to say when I started, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I would like, I would really be interested in what you're thinking on a day-to-day basis. There's so many blogs, and mine, mine included, where... You know, I, I, I purposely stay away from, from that because I don't think that enough readers will be interested. But, Well, you know, I, I always look at myself as, you know, this whole theory of the long tail. You know, uh, there's this sort of curve in which, you know, 99% of the people go to five websites. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this other 1% of the websites that everybody goes to, right? Right, okay. And I always figure... <clears throat> you know, it's a. I'm at the very end of that tail. I call myself the hare on the end of the long tail. <laughs> I mean, my stuff is so obscure. So, so it's all the more incredible, you know, that you would get these people, in, you know, talking with you and, and, and having this very interesting conversation. So anyway, that was one of the ways that uh, the law of fewest parties became the law of justifiable parties, other yeah. things that people fed back. Yeah, don't exclude a party just because it's a number. It's more parties. Yeah. You have to leave in the ones that, that need to be there. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. your proof is so solid in the point of view of the Microsoft experience with Passport. It makes perfect sense that there's a single sign-on for every Microsoft product. Right. It doesn't matter what site it is. Passport works. One sign-on. You don't have to worry about it. But beyond that, it just doesn't happen. Well, right. what if it was an, a third-party company that's already doing sort of identity things like VeriSign or, or even a Visa or American Express that has the trust of the, uh, you know, as a third party of the public? Well, that's a good question. Um, and I think you're, you're on to something really fundamental, which is there are a whole bunch of companies that have been doing identity for a long time, but never were called identity providers. Yeah. Or, thought of that way. And <clears throat> so like banks are identity providers. Yeah. That's the essence of what they do. I, I used to think it was handling money. Yeah. <laughs> but going through the blog and talking with the <laughs> bankers, it's really having the trust to handle the money. That's yeah. the essence of the bank. Right. Um, so what I think happens there is 
there are lots of potential identity providers, but there are also a lot of different contexts. And what you have to do is match the identity provider with the context. So, like, it makes sense for Visa to be dealing with your expenditures. Yeah. But you may not want Visa um, involved with, say, knowing every newspaper article you read. Right. Because you might say, well, gee, I want, to, I want that to be a more private thing. Um, I don't want it to be, um, you know, available in a way that it could be turned into marketing information or whatever, right? Well, the, the Veris, what about VeriSign? Because they're a little bit different. They, they just validate that you are who you say you are, right? Mm-hmm. So. Well, and they've, they've actually uh, been very important in, um, in, in, the, in, in terms of uh, the, you know, what can I say, uh, safety for websites, right. the, the whole um, Internet, SSL right. type of stuff. But once again, I, and, and I, think, I think they're a very important player. I think all of these people are very important players, but that is the government going to use VeriSign for all of its internal stuff? You know, um, mm-hmm. are the, um, you know, gambling sites going to use VeriSign? Maybe they'll use somebody else. What you're coming so, down to here is can we put the, tr- can we trust one entity to everything? And is that a good idea? Is that a good idea? Should we? I don't we? think it is. I don't think you can have a single entity. I think there has to be more than one. There's just yeah. no way around that. Because there's always going to be some conflict of interest with something, no matter who you are. Yeah, even if you forget about it. if you're a company, somebody is going to come to you and try to corrupt you, right? Somebody is going to come and say, "We'll give you fifty billion dollars in exchange for your data," you know, which we plan to use to uh, to whatever. To you know, the, it's market. very easy to justify more than one. There's very there's almost no justification for only one. There's a reliability issue. There's a control issue. There's all kinds of reasons why it shouldn't be one. So as soon as you get away from one, and there should be more than one, you know, the door is open. You have to have a complex system. Yeah. And, and so that's obviously what you're okay, thinking so, about. So that's another important... Okay, so, so I have one of my laws is the pluralism, I call it pluralism of operators and technologies. Right. Mm. So pluralism of operators is that it's operated by different people. Pluralism of technologies is that there are different ways that you can do identity. And, you know, and so it's, it's fun, you know, it's one of these things where you can get a bunch of experts together and half of them will be telling you that technology A is the solution and half of them will be telling you technology B is the solution, right? And the, what, what I think comes out of this is that each of those technologies is good at some set of things, but they aren't all good at everything. Yeah. And so what you need is to be able to combine those things and have this pluralistic uh, system. But the, so, so that's actually one, one of the laws that I put forward. But the, the other problem is that if you look at the systems we've built until now, they were not really built for human beings. So huh. you, let's take SSL, you know, when you use HTTPS over uh, HTTP, right? Right. Or HTTP. Um, so what, what you get there is, is a s- situation where you can have a completely secure relationship between your device and a computer that's, say, 5,000 miles away from you. And yeah. It's impenetrable. But the last one and a half feet between your, dev- your screen and your head is totally attackable. And that's what phishing is. And huh. Um, <laughs> it's it's really easy for people to get in there and confuse you about what's happening to you. Right. And a totally uh, secure connection to steal your password. Yes, a right. <laughs> totally secure connection <laughs> to some to an to an to a villain. Hmm. <laughs> so, so the, why? How can that happen? You know, and and so you say, well. In fact, the, uh, the designers of the systems, and here I point the finger at myself as well as much as anyone else, didn't take the human being as part of the system, the human being as a device, if you want. And so if you look at the human being as a device, if you'll pardon me for that. <laughs> hey, you no, know, that's fun. Why not? The device has 
that device has certain capabilities, and it also doesn't have others, right? Yeah, so it's some like serious device. bugs, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like doing raw crypto mm. is not one of the, you know, native features of the device. Right. Or memorizing long random numbers and things right. like that. Mm. So um, what we have to do is, is, is look at the device and say, how do we communicate with that device? Now, if you look mm. at some of the ways we've done identity, like with uh, certificates, uh, you know, have you, ever, you you know that certificate sure. dialogue that comes up? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that is not communicating to the human device. No, no, <laughs> totally not. Right. <laughs> Other than letting you know something really serious is being decided here that you don't understand, yeah, yes. that's well, about it, all it does. Yes, and and you know it reminds that reminds me of of a, once when my wife was using the computer in the next room, and all of a sudden, you know, I heard this stream of expletives, which are not like her at all. Well, except sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, "I just can't. I can't deal with this. I just can't deal with this." And I, I said, "Well, what's going on?" She said, I, "I'll never understand this thing." <laughs> meaning the computer. So I right. go in to look at what's happening and she's got somehow she's come across this this uh, situation where she's going to a computer that brings up the dialogue the um certificate selection dialogue. And it says select one of the following and then she has three things Adele Friedman, Adele Friedman, and Adele Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> and she has to choose between these, right? And so, like, she goes into deep existential crisis. Right. And, uh, you know, how is she going to get out I'm of I'm sure this, this and... was on a psych exam somewhere. <laughs> so, right. I mean, what have we done to these people? The other thing is, you know, um, we've taught them to type their passwords, to type their secrets into any form that appears on their screen. Right. Right. As long as it makes it pop up with stars. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Stars are important. And then there's the questions like, warning, pressing the OK button will is the only way that you can do what you want to do. However, it could completely ruin your machine. Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> I, would you mind if I turned all my security off? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> so I... Anyway, so, so this is the next thing. So I call this the law of human integration. In other words, we don't just need protocols. And, and so some of us here, we're, we actually talk about ceremonies. You know, so the ceremony, is, it has the protocol in it, but it also has the human element of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to build the system so that the human can, can, can handle it. So now if you, if you start putting these things together, that... You need the human integration, but you also need the pluralism of operators and technologies, right? You come to this thing of, well, so you have to be able to have these multiple systems, but the user has to understand how to use them. Uh, It all has to work in a way. How can that be done? And so that led us to think about things that we've done before in computing. And so I'll take you back for a moment to, you know, the days of DOS, right? Happy days. Yeah. The happy days. <laughs> so copy A colon, this hurts, to C colon, so does this. Um, and, you know, only certain people could handle the organization of information using that paradigm. Right. But then we were able to develop this, this, this visualization approach. So now we had this little icon for a file. We had this little icon for a... A folder, and so now people could stick their little files in the folders and drag the files between the folders, create new folders, right? Yeah, and all right. of a sudden, something that had been out of reach was now uh, sort of universally understandable. Well, that visual metaphor of grabbing a file and dropping it in a folder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, being able to touch it and use it. So that that's... It, but then it's very strange, in retrospect... That we did that for files and folders, but we didn't do it for people right. or identities. Kim, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought while we just take a moment to remind the listeners that uh, .NET Rocks is supported by sponsors and advertisers. It's the only way that we can bring this show to you every week. Great guests like Kim Cameron. And one of those advertisers is Data Dynamics. They make a product called ActiveReports.net and lots of other great products. Uh, simple, effective, powerful reporting, very easy. Drop the reports onto your forms and ship them with your product. And uh, they're online at www.datadynamics.com. 
Okay, Kim, you were saying? Yes. Um, so basically, we went through this thing where we introduced a, a graphic interface, right, as an industry. And when we did that, uh, now you could, uh, now, now, now people could do these new things. And I, th- I think, you know, something of the same kind, and it was, you know, it was very liberating when we did that. It allowed a whole bunch of new things to happen. And something of the same kind is, is, is about to happen around identity. Hmm. Um, the other thing is, think back, okay, you, you know, think back to the very early days. You would have to write your program so it understood what screen uh, d- display you were using. I mean, yeah. people in your audience will not will not believe this. The the the, the young people will think I'm I'm yep. making this up. Yep, but you true. know, there was a time when printers to, too. Yeah, you had to know wh- what the layout of sectors was on the hard disk. Yep. In order to use it, and and so when when you went to buy a new disk, you'd have to go. Well, gee, will my software program support that disk? Right. And then if you had three software programs, you'd have to sort of do a matrix. Well, which one do all three, <laughs> right? right? All three of them support? Oh, horrible well, memories. It was horrible, right? Well, in the my program, the program comes on three disks and 45 driver disks. And yeah, 45 that's right. Disks. So, you know, so the problem there is that the application developer has to bet on a particular uh, disk drive or display adapter. And and so he the, the the application developer has to take a risk. Yeah. Um. And wh- what we're at right now is is very similar, um, in terms of identity. Um. The mm. there are different identity systems, and the application developer has to get down into the bits and bytes of those systems. I I could just give one more example, which is TCP/IP. Uh, in the old days, you had to choose between these network types like. Ethernet or right. token ring. Banyan or, vines. Yeah, or a frame relay. Vines, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. And you had to, your whole career could depend on making the right choice. That's right. And the success of your <laughs> software company. That's right. Yeah. I know, it's incredible, right? Yeah. And then along came TCP IP, and that was a set of abstract services, much like the device drivers were, so that... Now, instead of writing to any one particular network, I just write to this abstract service, and it works. So what you're saying is you, we'll all have our identity systems and our identity, our identity validation companies or whatever that we want to use, and all of that will be abstracted away so, so that uh, application developers, hardware or software, will be able to just tap into these abstract layers and... Make everything yeah, work exactly. That's exactly the 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 work that that I'm doing. So so the 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 application developer um, doesn't have to bet on the success of one particular technology. Right. And you know, like on day one, let's say people aren't using dongles. You know, by dongles I mean like USB devices and so on. Yeah. And on day five. They want to use dongles for certain things, but right. that doesn't affect the application developer. They, they, you know, they just write it, and people can change what they're doing underneath in terms of how strong their identity is. Right. Hey Kim, I'm going to take you to a story in Gadget at Shrinkster.com/e89. Shrinkster.com/e89. And uh, it's a story in Gadget. Exec gets RFID implant. Yeah. I blogged about that. There's been a lot of stories about RFID implants lately because uh, a lot of uh, people are 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 doing it. They're just getting implants and then writing software that and, and getting hardware solutions that recognize them from this RFID tag. What do you think of this? Well, you know, stupidity has been around for a long time. <laughs> 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 it's going to be say, around for a bit longer. I was going to say, there are also people that like <laughs> file their teeth so they look like wolves, right? You know? <laughs> look, you know, it's so stupid, it's unbelievable, because um, the, the, those RFID tags emit, you know, they will respond to when, when they're excited by a reader. Yeah, right. And so I can go, and it's not protected. So right. I can go up to you after you've buried this thing in your skin. Yep. And, you know, without even being near you, I've seen some demonstrations where RFID tags are read from quite a distance. Okay? Yeah. 
I can now break in and read your tag, make another tag, which I put in my cigarette box yep. rather than in my uh, skin, yep. and walk up and get into the, into, the, into the environment you were protecting by having a, an implant. Right. So not only <laughs> is it like unthinkable to me that I would be injecting these things into my body, uh, maybe yeah. I'm too old or something, but like, <laughs> this is not my idea of a good time. <laughs> but it's also just plain stupid from a security point of view. It doesn't actually help anything if anything it impairs it now it's harder for you to change that when you need to change it yeah now i gotta tell you though i have a prius and it comes with an rfid uh key and so if i as long as it's in my pocket um that's all i need to get in and out of my car and to operate the car okay. now are you saying that uh this key somebody if they were close enough to me could just make a duplicate of it and mm -hmm. steal my car yeah so there's... well i'm not an expert on prius uh technology right. and so i'm just giving a general answer and I, I don't want to say anything specific but they're but they're basically rfid is rfid <laughs> and there isn't any way to secure or encrypt it is that what you're saying well, you can encrypt it but that doesn't you know that doesn't really help yeah well if the, it's if not the... a challenge response in the uh in, in a way that is unbreakable at this point in time i really think they're abusing rfid to make it identity that's not what it was for now, RFID was invented as a, as a unique number on a product. It's great for tagging, putting in price tags and tagging products with it right. so that every product has a unique identifier. Right. I agree. And, uh, and it'll tell anybody to... what its identifier is. There's no yeah. security in that. Hmm. Well, you have to be careful that... So, for example, uh, some cities use RFID in order to do highway tolls and stuff like that. Right, yeah. Speed but, pass, mobile um, speed I, pass. I do worry about this. I have a law about this, too. It's called the fourth law, uh, law of directed identity, which is, um, you know, let's say your car is emanating a fixed signal, mm. okay? That means that somebody can create a, a, an explosive device, for example, that only goes off when your car goes over it. Mm. And... And they can do that in, say, 1970, or, sorry, 2007, and, uh, it, and program it so it doesn't go off until 2009, right? Mm. Right. Um, so, you know, what you've got is, you've, what you've accidentally invented, if, you, if you're an architect and, and you're thinking ahead, right, like 10 years or 20 years, and through the whole criminalization cycle, is basically a new category of 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 a potential new category of we of weapon. Wow. And you know, we shouldn't be doing that sort of stuff anymore. So hmm. so what I think for example is that the RFID tag, the that thing in your pocket should only talk to your car. Well, and hopefully it does. I mean, it's not a it's not like the implant is supposed to be an identifier for all kinds of different systems. I'm hoping, and this is what I was thinking as you were telling me this, I'm hoping that Toyota was smart enough to, to, to add some security on top of the RFID tag. Yeah, but, so that, but it should only give away its, its information to your car. It shouldn't right. give it away to somebody who's I see. trying to abuse you. I see. And, and, you know, it won't matter for the first few years, but ultimately uh, my concern, I, I'm a profoundly pessimistic person. <laughs> this is what led <laughs> well, me to this work. Right? Security. security people yeah. have to be pessimistic. Right. So, you, you know, my, my wife can't even criticize me for that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> it's my job to be pessimistic. And <laughs> She's like, okay, but we're at a wedding. <laughs> but you know rfid breaks another law the, the first law that says only reveal with my consent mm. yeah the fact that it'll reveal to anything is part is the the main problem mm. yeah and it's not like i'm down on rfid i just think it should evolve to especially if it goes beyond keller you know beyond cornflake boxes right right it yeah. should ev as you say if, it, if it's if it's relating to humans it, it really, you, you, you can't treat humans like cornflakes. <laughs> Can I quote you on that? <laughs> you can. I don't know if it's original. <laughs> it's the kind of trite thing that, that, that I would say, though. So don't put, a pe don't put your kids in a bowl and pour milk on them is what you're <laughs> saying. You <go>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some of the, putting a, a chip in them is just, just as stupid. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about some specific technologies. I'm really interested in InfoCard and exactly what it means. I you've ha- you've recently had discussions just trying to define InfoCard well. Uh, maybe you want to take that on. Yeah. Well, um, for, can I can I um, just mention my blog for a moment? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my blog is www.identityblog.com, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the stuff about the uh, laws of identity and 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 so on is on that blog. But also uh, recently I put up a uh, tutorial on InfoCard. Um, including a visual thing, you know, so you can actually see the InfoCard experience. Huh. Um, now, so I, I think, you know, if your readers are in, or your, your listeners are interested, they, they might want to look at that. Now, one of the things I did that, that is kind of, it will, I just want to explain why I did this, is I, I put my coding examples in PHP. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I have to admit, I've never used PHP before, but my goal was to reach out to the people on the non-Windows platform as well as the people on the Windows platform yeah, right. and say, look, we, we've got to do identity together across this divide, yeah. um, and we don't want to have different systems. And so I was trying to convince you know, the, uh, non, the, you know, the Mac community and others like that that... Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's quite easy to work with this technology. There's nothing that makes it specifically uh, Windows. So, okay. but, and, and when you go to read it, it just looks like, to me, it looks like C-sharp. So yeah. <laughs> it only took yeah. me about five seconds to learn it. So yeah. I, I yeah, think it's... anybody who knows C-sharp can read the uh, code example. Now, it's not that somebody who wants to use info cards would have to know that code. Um, this code, it, it, it actually, from scratch, um, decodes it, the, the, what, are we, what we call software tokens. Right, which are uh, these sets of claims about your identity? Hmm. Um, but for people in your audience who are who are technically oriented and would like to see, well, how does it work? Um, th- this is probably one of the better ways to figure it out because you'll see the visual demo, and then you can go and see how the tokens are structured in XML, and then how the code fragments work. Now, in Windows, of course, you won't have to do any of that stuff. It'll all just be, you just configure, basically, and uh, info cards work. So now, I should go and say, what are info cards? Right. <laughs> so basically, remember I was talking about the visualization. Right. So the idea is uh, these different identities that you have, you have a visualization for each of them. So maybe a Visa card, there will be a visualization, and it's in the shape of a card. So it looks like a Visa card. This is like a flash animation or something? or what? What's on my site? Yeah. No, that's a screen recording. Okay. Oh, okay. That's bits. Camtasia? Yeah, Camtasia, yeah. And it's not, it's not our final glass. I mean, the yeah. actual... You know, visuals are, are are much more scrumptious, but the, okay. the it's it's the real bits. Great. Yeah, I'm 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 allergic to non bits <laughs> demos. <Okay. laughs> Show me as, the coder. Go home. Well you should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you know I wanted to do that. So, so basically, you have these cards, and. You, you, they can be issued by you know your bank or 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 one could even imagine you know your employer mm-hmm. right sure um, but also you can make up your own because if you think of it ninety nine percent of the identity on the web is is done by what we call self assertion yeah and that's good I'm not against self assertion I think self assertion is is good for a lot of things as long as you can tell the same person is coming back right and you can start to get to know them digitally and then you go yeah I like this person. <laughs> so um, I like you digitally, but not. Hasn't it ever happened to you that you've met somebody who's a digital friend who does, you don't hit it off with in brick and mortar world? <laughs> digitally, this is working, but it sounds like my relationship with Jeff actually. <laughs> you know that's getting cut out. I'm sorry, uh-huh. we didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Kim. Go ahead. Okay, so. Um, so, and what happens is you'll see that the background sort of grays out, uh, you know, it darkens. And so, so this, this is a, what, think of it as an identity selector hmm. uh, for your different possible identities. Mm-hmm. And it looks at the need of the site that you're visiting and then 
the identities that that site will recognize get highlighted, and hmm. the other ones get dimmed out. Hmm. Uh, and then this is all running on a on a private desktop that 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 is only visible by this this identity selector system. Okay. Wow. Um, and and no no private information is stored on the PC. The the information is stored. Uh, in what we call the identity provider, you know, like we were saying before, at Visa or, or right. so on. So that what's in the card is really just metadata pointing okay. to that identity provider. Cool. It's really telling you where to get the identity information. Yes, yes. And, huh. and, and then in order so that, you know, we don't want to have something that we ship and that people can't use until they go to the store and buy an identity from an identity provider or something. Right. So we, we have this built-in, um, you can make your own identities, for, for your from your own you know personal identity provider, so that you can do that on day one out of the box. Great. Um, and at that point, and and then it has very interesting privacy characteristics. So, for example, it uses a different key at each site you visit automatically. Um, hmm. So the sites can cannot use this system in order to set up. Uh, um, you know, cross-reference kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So one of the things that uh, that we've done is work very closely with the privacy community. Um, and 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 you know, and I. That's also one of the things where I've really learned a lot because I've come to understand that by listening to them rather than being dismissive, by by doing what's good for privacy, you end up doing what is good for the security of the system. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, because for example, in this case where you're not um, giving out the same key to all of the providers, you're making it a lot harder for um, you know a uh, an evil party to be able to assemble information and and attack your identity in a um, organized or automated way. Yeah, because they can't they don't know what's what's hooking it up. Right, right. They they can't see the relationship between the different visits. Yeah. So the, the same thing that drives privacy drives security of the system. So now is the the info card, is this uh, come-together protocol that you were talking about? Well, the actual protocol is WS Trust. Okay. Um, inside WS Trust, you can put any token format. Now, if you go back into, I don't know if you have suffered the horrors of PKI and so on, but if you go back to uh, some of those things, the protocol... What is PKI, by the way? uh, Public key infrastructure. Okay. um, X509. I see. And so on. Public and private key stuff. And and, I mean, we do use public and private key, but, but PKI was a special way of looking at that. Okay. Where... You know, you had a, a defined format and a defined uh, a protocol, and you had a defined um, trust structure, mm-hmm. and so you you had to you you ended up being what, what we call tightly coupled in in every way. You know, all you wanted was to go out for lunch, and you ended up you know moving in together. Um, <laughs> that definitely reminds me of a girl I once knew. Dude, you're getting too yeah. much mileage out of that joke. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, because there's no... Uh, everything was tied to everything. Right. Right. So what we've tried to do in the in, in the InfoCard case is say, okay, well, you've got this, this protocol that all it does is negotiate what people can understand and exchange one thing for another. Yeah. And then you can use any kind of token inside that, the token being the content. So you know you can use you can use X509 you can use SAML you can use just some blob that you make up because you, you you've got a better idea and then the trust structure is 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 itself another set of decisions that you make who are you gonna who are you gonna trust well it depends what you're trying what you have to trust them for like on my blog the only thing that I need to trust people for is that they're not sending me spam yeah so you know my my uh, my criterion is your email address exists, um, and stuff like that. So is this based on web services then? Yeah. So this is the web services uh, security stuff that we've been dealing with for the last few years. Um, this is, this is, is it 
given a human interface, given that sixth law of integration. Okay. Yeah. Are you using Indigo then for this? Um, Underneath the covers in the Microsoft implementation, we have uh, Indigo. Okay. And um, as well, why not? I mean, that's that's where it's going. Yeah. But on the relying party, okay, the relying party is the site that wants to get, you know, the identity information. Right. It it doesn't actually have to have Indigo on it. It, it can sure. just get a, uh, you, the system will also do just a simple HTTP post. Wow. Yeah. And so you can put it, there are benefits if you have a large site of putting Indigo there. And so what really happens is, when 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 the post occurs and the token goes, you know, like like normally you would go to a login page and it would give you back a cookie. Right. You would use that cookie to go to the rest of the site. Yeah. In this case, you just need one machine that will accept the info card and gives back the cookie, and then the rest of the system just works in exactly the same way. That's great. Yeah. So you don't have to change, you know, more than uh, you know a few lines of code in order to turn a site from something that just supports passwords to something that supports info card. But at that point you've you've now got um you've now got a system that can't be fished and right. um you know a much much higher bar on the security issues. Do you see info card being used by by mainstream public, not just the geeks among us, but you know, do you see these things? Oh, totally. Our, up our user tests are people like this because you don't need passwords, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so people do not, like, it's not like they're using them because they like them. And what kind of applications other than on the on the computer do you see these things being used for? Um, you mean besides going to websites? Yeah, or? besides besides computer authentication. Oh, well, you know, my thinking is that the same paradigm will go on to cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, MP3, you know, listening devices like MP3 and so on. So, so for example, anywhere where you want to select an identity digitally, you, you, you can do it, and, and it can either be, and it's, it's very important, part of the architecture of our system, the way we've built it, mm-hmm. is it doesn't, it, it doesn't ins, it, you know, it, it doesn't limit itself to the PC form factor. Right. Don't, so, don't you already use these for, like, opening doors and things? Yeah. At Microsoft? Well, yeah, except that it's a very crude one, which doesn't right. let us, you know, select. <laughs> right. But so, yeah, so we've already got the uh, start of this in a lot of these devices. But I guess what um, I'm getting at is, you know, the space that RFID is playing around in is exactly what we're talking about with InfoCard, is it not? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. Except that it's going to be secure. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to put it under the uh, control of the user, which, which, as you said, is the very first law. Yeah. Nothing can be released without the user approving that. Right. And so then you need the interface. And then, uh, you know, one thing leads you to another, and you end up in this set of ideas, which which is the one that, that we base this on. Yeah, that's just great. Great stuff. I can't wait. Well, you know, it's it's really fun, and um, you know, there's a new uh, the mix bits actually had info, working info card stuff, and then you know, uh, pretty soon now there's going to be uh, you know the next release of uh, Vista, right? And it has it has uh, I I would wait for that to do the uh, to do my testing. Um, because you know it's it's nice and solid and it's it's in it's it's close to what will be shipped. And the other thing people should know is that this will also work. It's part of uh, Windows, you know, w, WFX, right? And so it'll run on on XP as well as on um, Vista. Vista, yeah. What 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 are the hardware requirements for creating, you know, for encoding cards and for reading them? Well, um, it's just, you know, there's no specific hardware requirements because uh, these are not physical physical cards. They're just things that appear on your screen. Now, you I can see. have physical cards that that go along with with it, right? That contain that data. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Or that contain the key. I guess that's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't aware that InfoCard, I know that InfoCard is a technology, but I thought it all centered around a card. A physical, a physical card. card. Yeah. 
No. Okay, so that's really important. I'm really yeah. glad you asked that. Yeah. It's, it, 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 the, 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 I said there's the visualization, just like there was with files and folders. Mm-hmm. And so the visualization is, again, a card because, you know, that, that's what people are used to in terms right. of their own wallet. It's a metaphor. Right. It's a metaphor. But it's, you know, you know I'll tell you a story. My, my son, when he was about 11, he came into my office and he saw a file folder on my desk. Mm-hmm. And he said, Dad, that's so cool. How did you get such a big one of those? And he was... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, in, in this case, you know, we're going to have the same paradigm as with the uh, sure. physical things. But, and, and you could, and a bank, for example, or Visa could give you a physical card right. that, that, goes, that you have to insert when you see the, 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 the picture on the screen. Right. Okay, so, so that's the way to look at it. Okay, good. I'm glad I we love the fact that you wrote this in PHP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have a blue badge, and you wrote this in PHP. Right. Well, you know, it's. I think it's important to to reach out and build this thing across the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And across the internet, that's that's uh, that that is inclusive of everyone right so yeah. i want people to understand that i'm totally serious about that it's not just verbiage right all right kim um before we sign off i like to ask people my on uh, my guests on the show you know something cool that they've seen on the web recently or downloaded and played with or a toy something that uh something cool that you that you found recently that you want to share wow that's that's pretty <laughs> <laughs> okay. It always surprises you warned him, me about it, that one coming. No warning. Just <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, like I see so so many things. A lot of the things that I see are out of the research department here, and yeah. uh, but I can't, you know, discuss can't talk them. about them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll talk. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll mention one thing that I saw, which was a. Uh, it was this guy who has invented a way of telling, um, of recognizing a piece of paper. Wow. With a simple uh, laser scanner. Now, that sounds weird, but... It, like a it, blank piece of paper? Any piece of paper, yeah. It, it, and, you know, you can take the paper and you can crumple it up. And he, he does this. He crumples it up and then he puts it in the oven and cooks it and <laughs> scribbles on it with crayons and pan dumps bleach on it and everything else. And you can still tell that this is the same piece of paper. Wow. So... I mean, what what that means is you you really have a way to have authenticity in in, in virtually anything. Wow! In, in the physical document. In the in anything physical, yeah, a physical document oh, wow. or, and there are other similar techniques like where you 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 know that use the randomness of uh, nature in order to identify things. So uh, I just saw that uh, you know a couple of days ago. So so yeah, that that that's that cool. Me out. And you can find that at shrinkster.com slash EHB. Cool. I'm going to go check that out. Kim, I can't tell you how much I've been uh, looking forward to talking to you, and I'm finally glad we did. I know Richard is as well. Keep doing all that great work, and, and we'll, I can't wait to get my hands on InfoCard. Now I, I want to go see it. Well, I'm hoping we can get a chance to, uh, to get to you, Kim, to take us for a tour through some InfoCard stuff uh, in DNR TV. Yes, I would love that. Oh, that would be great. Sure. Okay. That would be great. And until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Rock. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a toy boy.